episode 58, Preventing Non-Adherence. Today, I speak with Dr. Josh Benner, founder of RxAnti. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know, talking. Relentlessly seeking value. One of the very worst uses of time is to do something very well that need not be done at all. That's a quote from Brian Tracy that I really like. The point is that those who produce the greatest results are often experts at choosing exactly what to do and what not to squander time on. In healthcare, this is particularly relevant because time is a limited and precious commodity. If I'm a provider, for example, and I spend time focusing on patients who might not really need my help, that means I don't have the time to invest in those who really need me. It's a classic opportunity cost. Given the scale and scope of the adherence problem facing this country today, narrowing our focus to help those patients who most need our help would seem like the approach that most productivity gurus would all nod their heads and agree is the way to go. Today, I speak with Dr. Josh Benner, who is the founder of RxAnti. RxAnti is a solution that uses predictive analytics and decision support to improve adherence and ultimately lower the cost of healthcare. Dr. Benner is also the executive vice president of strategy and corporate development for RxAnti's new parent company, Millennium Health. My name is Stacy Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Franklin HealthCom. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Josh. Thank you. Nice to be with you. You are the founder of RxAnti. Now give us an overview. What, what, what did you found RxAnti to, to do? Well, RxAnti is improving how people use prescription drugs. And we were founded to tackle the $300 billion problem of the underuse, overuse, and misuse of prescription drugs in the United States. And just to put that $300 billion number in some context, Stacy. That's almost twice the cost of heart disease in the United States. It's far bigger than the cost of cancer in the United States. It's entirely preventable. 100% of that $300 billion can be prevented if we use prescription drugs appropriately. RxAnti actually started by tackling what most people think is the biggest chunk of that $300 billion problem which is underuse or non-adherence to prescription drugs. I know a lot of people have attempted to tackle the monumental ad- adherence problem. How are you, what are you doing that, that's unique? Why do you feel like you're going to be successful here? Well, I think the key to our success in improving medication adherence has been the recognition that it's a prevention problem. Once somebody stops a prescription drug, for what they think are really good reasons, it's very hard to get them back. So that makes it a prevention problem. If it's a prevention problem, then it's a prediction problem because we can't possibly deliver the highest level of drug therapy management to every patient who starts a blood pressure or a cholesterol or a diabetes medicine. We have to know who's at risk of stopping too early and then offer a high level of support for those patients. And historically, the problem has been that 
we couldn't afford to activate somebody's pharmacist or their physician and pay those providers to manage a patient aggressively. And we often, when we tried, we were doing it after they had stopped their medicines and it wasn't effective. So what RxAnti is enabling through its solution of predictive analytics coupled with decision support is we're identifying the patients who are at risk before they stop their medicines and we're directing the attention of their health plan, their pharmacy, their physician, other care managers to those high-risk patients so that they can get a higher level of support and it improves their adherence and we've been able to see success in improving adherence rates for our customers and using that approach. I've never really heard prevention used in that way before. In in other words, preventing someone from stopping taking their their meds. I mean, exactly. it, it totally makes sense, but I, I haven't I've haven't heard it drilled down to that fine. Well, there's a there's a big literature on this problem, as you know, and that literature often results in sort of disappointing results because the interventions were targeted to patients who had already quit. And when you call somebody and try to say, you know, dear Stacy, please go back to taking that medicine that you quit, it's just not very effective. You quit because you couldn't afford it or because there was a side effect you didn't like or because you don't think it worked for you or because you never thought you needed it in the first place. And what's far more effective is to be able to tell when Stacy is showing signs of potentially stopping this medicine and to come to you at that point when you're making up your mind about whether this medicine works for you or whether you're going to stick with it and give you extra support then. And so that means we have to know who who the people are who are at that point of decision-making about their medicine. But it also means we have to help people say the right thing and ask the right questions of those patients. And that's where the, the practical tools that we deliver come in because it's, it's one thing to give you a list of you know, all the patients who are at risk, but we also have to help you know what to say or what to ask. And we developed a tool called Rx Effect, which is actually a workflow tool for managing a panel of patients. And we built it for the physician practices who are increasingly accountable for this problem. And it tells them who are the patients in their practice who are truly at risk, not the ones who have already stopped, not the ones who are doing just fine and will continue to do just fine, but what's the small percentage of patients in that practice who are at risk of a bad drug therapy outcome and what can they do for them? What to say, what to ask, all the recent real-time prescription filling information so they can have a really informed conversation, the kind of conversation they've never been able to have with their patients before because they didn't have access to real-time prescription filling information or these predictive analytics. And what surprised us was we found interest not just from physician practices but also from the pharmacies and even health plan care coordinators because this approach to managing a panel of at-risk patients and coaching them through their prescription drug therapies is, is very effective. And obviously becoming more and more important as value-based payments and outcomes-based payments come into the fold. If someone's not taking their medication, their outcomes aren't great. And that affects everyone throughout the entire healthcare continuum from providers to payers to everyone in between. That's absolutely right. And it's really been over the last, I'd say, five to 10 years, Stacy, that medication use has become a quality measure. It took a few years for groups like the Pharmacy Quality Alliance to develop consensus-based measures of what good quality medication use is. 
you know, how high should adherence be to blood pressure medicines or cholesterol medicines or diabetes medicines and how should we measure it? Then once those measures existed, groups like the government have begun to hold health plans accountable for that. And bonus payments are tied to it now in the Medicare program. When payers are at risk for those adherence rates, they put physician practices and pharmacies and pharmacy benefit managers at risk for those adherence rates. So that really, you're right, the the trend in value-based reimbursement for healthcare has come to medication use in the past few years. And it really has been a, a tailwind that we've helped support and also helped providers and payers manage through. Let's go back to RxAnti for a sec, because I'm very curious. You know, you, you mentioned the product includes predictive analytics and decision support on the front end in order to identify high-risk patients. And then on the back end, you're helping providers coach patients through those moments. What I'd really like to understand is how exactly does the system predict that I am at, you know, I was just prescribed a medication. How do you know that I'm going to be the one that stops taking it? That's a great question. The magic is in, for us at least, is in the data that we get about your past use of the medication that we're interested in, your past use of other medications, and your past use of other healthcare services. So what we're doing is we're getting a a very rich feed of that information from your health plan or your pharmacy benefit manager or whoever our client is on whose behalf we're managing your medication use. And we translate all that raw information into several hundred predictors of your future use of that category of drugs. So for example, if you're a diabetic patient and you're taking an oral diabetes medicine, we will develop a score that reflects the likelihood that you will be adherent to that medicine, oral anti-diabetes medicines, at a point in time, whether it's the end of the year because it's a quality measure we're trying to manage to, or maybe it's just a year into the future. But we're creating a score. It's called the RX Anti-Adherence Score. And it's unique to the therapy area that we're managing for you. And if you were taking a diabetes medicine, a blood pressure medicine, and a cholesterol medicine, you would have three scores, one for each of those categories of drugs. It's based on that score that we determine how to manage your medication adherence going forward. One of the things that you had mentioned that that struck me, especially because I was I was actually randomly on on Quora the other day, the website where people ask questions, mm-hmm. uh, looking something up and stumbled across someone saying that most people stop taking their medications because of a side effect that they don't like. They start taking a med, they hit a side effect and they, you know, just stop for that that particular reason. Right. How how does your system deal with with things like that, or or right. is, is it all kind of wrapped up in? In other words, if I every time I stop start taking a drug, I stop taking it. Kind of the exact reason why might not matter. I'm just prone right. to quitting. Well, it is sometimes the case that side effects are the reason a patient stops a medicine. I would say that's most often accurate for certain drug categories where the side effects can be really substantial. So for example, the older hepatitis C drugs, which were self-injected, the interferons, you know, they made you feel like you had the flu, they made you depressed, 
and it was really hard to get people to complete uh, hepatitis C treatments. That's why, by the way, there were cheers when the new oral agents like Savaldi and Harvoni came out because they addressed those side effects and adherence was higher. But to your point, I guess the the real answer is that it's not practical for us to ask every patient who starts a diabetes medicine, how is this medicine making you feel? Are you gaining any weight, which is a common side effect of those medicines? But the truth is you don't have to, Stacy, because if you screen for how the patient has, if you look closely at how the patient has taken that medicine in the past, other medicines maybe like it or other chronic medications that have been prescribed for them. If you look at their behaviors around other preventive healthcare services, how often they see their doctor, if you get a picture for what their overall health status is, whether they have cancer, for example, which might be a competing priority for their sort of healthcare attention. There are lots of things you can learn in these data sets that have taken us years to, to figure out, which give you a very accurate probability of whether this patient's going to stay on this medicine or not. And then what we recommend to our clients is once we've shrunk the, the haystack, so to speak, down to a very small little pile of patients who appear to be at risk, that's when it's worth calling them and asking questions like, how's this medicine going for you? How's it making you feel? How did your doctor tell you to take it? How long did your doctor tell you to take it for? What's the goal in taking this medicine? What numbers are you managing and how are they moving? Are they moving in the right direction? Is that hemoglobin A1C coming down? So you can do those higher touch diagnostics, talking with the patient, once we shrink the population down to the people who are statistically at highest risk. The one thing that I hadn't really considered is given the, you know, sophistication uh, of technology, you, you probably could actually factor the drug prescribed into that predictive analytics. Oh, we absolutely do. That's right. So in the cholesterol class, for example, there are certain medicines, different cholesterol medicines have different rates of side effects. And in particular, at higher doses, some of them have very high rates of side effects. So there are definitely attributes of the prescription itself that you're taking, the, the drug, that factor into our predictive models. And so we consider things like the drug, the molecule that you're taking, you know, is it simvastatin or is it rosuvastatin or is it atorvastatin? Those are all three cholesterol statins. Is it a high dose? Is it a low dose? Is it a moderate dose? Is it what's your copay? What's it costing you? Those are all very important variables. They're not you know, they don't account for the hundreds of variables we look at, but they, they are important. It's important to know attributes of the medication itself because some of them just do have higher rates of side effects or do get very expensive or they just work better and patients um, stay on them because they see that it's working for them. I like what you said about narrowing the field, so to speak, so that, a, you know, a clinician can spend their limited time counseling patients that really need the help, that would seem to be, you know, pretty much productivity 101 to enable that sort of system. It totally is. And I have to tell you, it's not, it shouldn't surprise anybody that physicians and pharmacists and nurses have the greatest impact on improving medication adherence. That's been proven time and time again in studies for 30 years. The problem is their time is very expensive and they don't have a lot of it. And so 
we've never been able to achieve any sort of scalable improvement in medication adherence because we haven't been able to find a, a solution, a workflow that respects how busy those providers are, makes it their job to manage medication use of their patients. You know, most physician practices, they, they think, that, and rightly so, historically their job has been diagnose the patient correctly, prescribe the right treatment, and then the patient leaves and it's the patient's job and the people around the patient uh, who support that patient, like the pharmacy, to make sure the patient uses that medicine appropriately. It's, as you say, it's in a value-based system where this is a $300 billion problem after they leave the physician's office with that prescription. People are rethinking that set of duties. And now it is the, the practice's job to make sure that the, the patient uses that medicine appropriately and the, the right thing was prescribed. We haven't talked much about it, but another thing we do is try to improve prescribing decisions so that the patient leaves with the right dose and the right day supply of that medicine that will set them up for uh, better adherence over time. There are certain categories of antihypertensives that work best for diabetes patients, for example. And so when a patient has diabetes, but the doctor who prescribed the blood pressure medicine doesn't know that, then we help them get them on the blood pressure medicine that also works best because they have diabetes. So it's about fixing two behaviors. It's about prescribing behavior and the taking behavior. And those are the things that we've been able to show improvements in. Now, is that fixing the prescribing behavior, is that part of Rx Effect as well? It does. So Rx Effect identifies different kinds of improvement opportunities for a practice, if it's a physician practice that we're supporting with the tool. Some of them are prescribing opportunities, and some of them are patient adherence opportunities, where we're asking the practice to use a, a nurse or a care coordinator or even just an office manager to call the patient because we've identified them as being at risk, ask them some specific questions, talk to them about how that medicine's going and make sure they understand what the practice expects in terms of the outcomes from treatment and, and the patient's role in getting those outcomes. And I would definitely like to circle back around to how that counseling happens. But I think that what I'd like to do right now is kind of put everything in order. So first thing that happens is RxAnti gets hired. And it sounds like you had mentioned earlier that you need the data feed from the PBM or insurance plan. Is that primarily who, it, who would hire you? Our customers are health plans, and pharmacy benefit managers and pharmacies. That's right. Okay. So first thing, you get hired. Then, obviously, that insurance plan has providers that they support. You know, how do how are you getting from you just got hired by an insurance plan or PBM to Rx Effect, which is your, as you had mentioned earlier, is one of the tools that you offer providers. You know, you're in the provider office with that tool. It's a great question. Depends on the goal. Our clients typically hire us if they're a health plan or a PBM. They hire us to achieve a specific goal. Either it's improving a quality measure, like those medication quality measures we were talking about before, or it's about lowering cost of care. In either case, the next thing we do is we take all of their data and begin screening their population for who's at risk. Who's at risk of a costly 
drug therapy uh, failure or who's at risk of being non-adherent or in some cases we're asked to manage a risk of overuse and we can talk more about this but the prescription pain medicine epidemic in our country has a lot of plans and providers worried about who's at risk of not underusing uh, their medicines but also overusing medicines like opioid pain medicines. So we'll screen the population for who's at risk of that outcome that we're trying to improve. And then once we have a, identified, as I said earlier, the small pile of hay, shrunk the haystack so to speak, to, so that we're quite sure we know where the needles are. We are then going and looking at who are the providers taking care of these at-risk patients. And we build a network of, of providers, whether they be physician practices or whether they be pharmacies or care coordinators, who are going to be accountable for improving those outcomes for the patients in that population who are at risk. And so Rx Effect is actually a growing network of provider practices who use the tool to manage the at-risk patients' drug therapy in their practice. Then would it be the insurance plan itself that helps you uh, reach out to those providers and explain how to use the, the tool? Right. In some cases, the health plan does that outreach and in other cases, RxAnti does it on our own, um, and in some cases, we do it together. There's a variety of mechanisms for getting the practices to understand what the system does and get them on board and in the program, but RxAnti does all of the customer support and coaching and training for the practices once they're in the program. Okay. So I'm a provider practice. I was just contacted. I have a, a number of at-risk patients and therefore it seemed to make sense that I embraced this tool, which my insurance, one of my you know big payers was, was making available to me. So day one, there, there's an installation, the, the system was installed, RX effect was installed. And is it proactive or reactive? In other words, do I get a list of my at-risk patients and I start there? Or is it patient wanders in, I make a prescribing decision, and all of a sudden an RX effect somehow or another pops up into my purview? Rx Effect is a workflow tool that is list-based. In other words, it's not designed to interrupt the – this is something we've learned from working with practices over the past several years. It's not designed to interrupt the normal workflow of a visit. It's designed to keep a list or a workflow, if you will, of the at-risk patients attributed to that practice and maintain in that list – real-time information about how those at-risk patients are filling their medicines, how many days of treatment they're missing in a month or in a calendar quarter, and what the practice can do to improve it. It essentially looks like a, it, it's a simple web portal. They can log into it from any computer with a web connection, internet connection. And it's often not the doctor who prescribes the medicine that is using the portal because, as I said, it's not in the visit workflow unless the nurse or whoever manages the portal prints off you know, a sheet on a patient who is deemed to be at risk and puts it in the chart for a visit that's coming up. That happens often, but more often what happens is someone in the practice, like a nurse who's responsible for population health or care coordination in that practice, checks the portal daily or weekly to keep track of the patients. The, the, the portal also ranks patients in order of their 
urgency. And so there's a contact now list. And we ask these providers to check the portal at least weekly and to be in touch with the at-risk patients at least monthly. We show them when their next refills are due. We show them what their refill patterns have been. We show them the other medicines the patients are taking and risk factors that might be the reason the patient looks like they're at risk of stopping the medicine or overusing the medicine. It's a parallel workflow. I think that's important to understand. It's not in the visit workflow unless somebody in the practice decides to use the information in the chart during a visit. It's important that it not be in the visit workflow because often non-adherent patients don't come in for visits. And so if you if you waited to render this information in the context of a visit, you'd completely miss the opportunity to improve medication adherence. So it has to be a new workflow outside the visit workflow. I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, now that you mention it, it would seem to be an important detail. <laughs> right, right. You know, you said something that that did intrigue me. You said the the population health nurse in a practice is the one that might be logging on and checking the portal. Is that becoming more common? It certainly is. Now, I would say that a lot of nurses and office managers are becoming the person who wears the population health responsibility. So it's not as if these are all new hires to practices. But we are certainly, as you pointed out, you know, in an era where achieving value defined as certain quality measures is very important to what these practices earn in terms of reimbursement. And these measures that we uh, ask them to work on are not the only ones, but there is an increasingly large group of people in these practices who are focused on uh, managing to quality measures across their panel. And what what those providers tell us is most of the time what they get is an old stale list of patients who missed a quality measure last year and who may or may not be at risk for missing that measure this year and or they get a list of quality measure status on all 3,000 patients in their panel. And the practices just can't find a way to view that as actionable. It's just, it's too much work. you've given them a huge haystack again, and they don't know where the needles are. And so the reason practices love RX Effect is that we, first of all, shrink the haystack down to just the needles. They know that if we're asking them to take action on a patient, it's a patient who's going to benefit right away. And it's not a patient who is already in a place where they can't benefit from this or who's going to be just fine on their own. The second reason they like it is because we actually tell them what they can do to help this patient. So say this, ask that, conduct this interview, change this prescription from this to that. It's very specific decision support. The third thing they love about it is that there's real-time information in here that they haven't had before. Doctors, many people don't know this, but doctors don't have information about how their patients are filling their prescriptions in any useful format. And so we give them that through Rx Effect by taking the claims feed from the pharmacy and the PBM and re-rendering it in a consumable format for the practice they can now see that. They can see when these patients are missing meds or when they're taking other meds that they shouldn't take in conjunction with the one they prescribed. And then the last thing we do is we make it their job. In a many, we haven't talked about this specifically yet, but in many of our implementations, Rx Effect is accompanied by a targeted bonus payment program that pays the practices when they convert an at-risk patient to an adherent patient or when they 
satisfy a quality measure for a, a patient that we identify. When a PBM or a plan hires you, they might choose to institute a P4P, a pay-for-performance program in, in conjunction with, with your services. That's right. And I would just I would add to that that it's not typical for P4P. Typical P4P is here's a very small, you know, maybe a dollar or something for every patient in your population with a history of heart attack that you get on a beta blocker uh, prescription. The problem with that is it's lots of work for small dollars. And what RxAnti has done with its proprietary approach to targeted performance-based payments is that we shrink the list of patients and increase the fee per patient that these practices can earn. So we know who's at risk and we know that you shouldn't be paying bonuses if you're the health plan on all the patients who are going to be just fine on their own. So what you do is you pay more for the patients who are really at risk and for the practices it's more money per case but it's less work to do. And so that's a that's a real game changer for P4P. I'd like to circle around to to something that you had mentioned earlier, which is oftentimes when we think of the adherence problem and that and we think about what constitutes that three hundred billion dollars, we immediately key on to underuse. You know, someone was prescribed heart medication and they have stopped taking it. But to your earlier point, there's a number of different other factors that are combined in there, one of them being overuse. And as you said, opioids and paid medication. I mean, there's just a huge cover article in Time magazine last month um, about the overuse of opioids and you can't turn on the TV news without seeing some regional story. Talk about that. What, what, what sure. are you doing there? Well, I think this is a, a really sad problem that, as you say, is unfortunately appearing in the headlines or on the cover of magazines almost daily now. As you also said, it is just another version. It's another form of this $300 billion problem with how we use prescription drugs. In this case, it's the overuse problem. And prescription pain medicines, scientists think, are about a $70 billion problem in terms of not just the cost. This is not the cost of the drugs themselves. It's the cost of the consequences of dependency, abuse, and overdose on these medicines. And so this is a reason that the partnership with Millennium Health made so much sense for RxAnti. We had historically been quite focused on that underuse problem, non-adherence. Uh, Millennium was a company really about better getting more from medicines with diagnostics and had the nation's leading lab capabilities around monitoring prescription pain med use. And so our perspective on this was really informed by the scientists and clinicians at Millennium. But what we have learned over the past couple of years from studying this problem is that just like with the non-adherence problem, our approach as a healthcare system, Stacy, has been to wait until somebody overdoses or wait until somebody becomes addicted and dependent and begins to show signs of abuse and then try to save them. It doesn't work very well. Those people keep ending up in the headlines. You know, those patients cost four or five times as much as a regular opioid user who isn't uh, in that category. We're not doing a good enough job as a healthcare system getting upstream of this problem. Again, the value of predictive analytics is that it enables you to think about preventing a bad outcome instead of waiting to identify a patient who had it and then wishing you could have turned back time. So 
what we developed last year in 2014 in partnership with Millennium was the ability to predict unsafe opioid use. That is, in a patient who's taking a opioid prescription pain medicine, who is at risk of a diagnosis of abuse, dependency, or overdose. And what we can do now is shrink the population down to the top, say, 20%, one out of every five opioid users who appear to be at the highest risk of those bad outcomes. And that enables prevention-oriented programs. And if you think about this problem as not being just a a law enforcement problem, which is how we tend to address it as a society today, you know, in most cases, it starts in the healthcare system. The on-ramp to diversion and abuse and overdose is a prescription being written by a doctor somewhere to a patient. And then that utilization uh, getting off track uh, because it wasn't managed appropriately. So after developing the ability to predict who that was going to happen to last year, this year we've launched the first program of its kind focused on risk-based opioid management. And it has three components. The first is the predictive analytics where we RX anti screens the whole population of opioid users to identify who's at risk. The second step is we use RX effect, just like we did to address non-adherence, to help create a circle of support around at-risk patients by notifying the prescriber, the pharmacy, the health plan, so that the folks who are involved in the diagnosis, the prescribing, and the dispensing of these medicines, paying for these medicines, can deliver support through their existing mechanisms to that at-risk patient. And then the third step is Millennium offers its tools for better prescribing and monitoring, which are diagnostic tests like pharmacogenetic testing and urine drug monitoring to make sure the patients are adherent to the treatment as it was prescribed. So uh, it's, as I said, the first program of its kind. It's new in 2015, and we're very excited about the potential it offers to get upstream of the problem and prevent it from happening for so many of these cases. Where does RX Effect or, or RX Anti's services here begin? Do they begin typically at the first opioid script or, you know, like where, where do you start? Well, we certainly can. The models that we've developed consider whether the patient is a chronic opioid user. So, you know, there are tens of millions of people in this country with chronic pain uh, and they've been taking opioid pain medicines for months or years. And we screen those folks for their likelihood of unsafe use. And we also can do it as early as the first time. Let's say you uh, injured your knee skiing and went in for a, a knee repair and needed some pain management afterwards. That might be your first opioid prescription. We can characterize your risk of unsafe use or ending up in a bad place with that medicine. Um, just after that first prescription based on things, just like with predicting adherence, it's things in your past medication use, it's characteristics of you, your health status, your past medication use, and your past use of other healthcare services that help us make that prediction. I know that as, when we were talking about the underuse problem, you 
had mentioned sort of two factors. One was is the counseling. And you I, I think that's what you mean by your circle of support. But the other part was prescription decision support. Does that factor into play with opioids? In other words, might you recommend, you know, there's the abuse deterrent technologies that are on opioids. I mean, might you recommend someone be transferred from, you know, a, a just a generic immediate release opioid onto one of these more abuse deterrent? That's certainly one of the tools that we would want the provider to consider once we identify a patient as being at risk. The other thing we'll do, Stacy, is we'll identify why they appear to be at risk. Some people are at risk because they're on multiple medications that interact with the opioids in unsafe ways. So in that patient, an abuse deterrent formulation might not be the appropriate solution because it is expensive, as you pointed out. But it's also not going to address the risk factor here. The risk factor is they need to be taken off that benzodiazepine that interacts dangerously with the opioid. Or there's some other you know, concomitant medicine where a prescribing decision uh, can be made that would – or care could be coordinated with the other doctor, the, maybe the psychiatrist that's seeing the patient to come up with a better treatment plan. But for a patient who maybe has a history of bipolar, is younger, has a history of diagnosed substance abuse or mental illness, that very well could be a patient for whom the abuse deterrent formulation makes sense. So you're right to think that that's an example of the tools in the toolbox for the providers, and we try to give them the information they need to choose the right tool to manage that at-risk patient. Sometimes it's as simple as let's educate the patient. If you were that knee injury patient following a knee repair, what we might recommend is that the physician spend time with you or the pharmacist or somebody spend time with you helping you understand since it's the first time you've taken this medicine that it's a powerful medicine and that there are risks associated with taking this medicine and that those risks go up the longer you take it. And so what we really want to do is think about with you deciding on a date when you should be off this treatment. And if you're not off, if you're not able to stop the treatment because of pain at that point, something else must be wrong and we need to revisit the treatment plan. So even education and setting a really specific treatment plan is a is a possible tool in the toolbox here. This has been absolutely fascinating, Josh, and I could probably think of about 20 more questions to ask you, but I'm a little bit cognizant of time. <laughs> so if someone is interested in learning more about RxAnti, where, where can they go for more info? Well, the RxAnti website is a great place to start, www.rxanti.com. There's also a contact us page where we can receive an email from an interested person, and I or another person on our staff would love to continue the conversation anytime. Fantastic. It was so great speaking with you. Thanks, Stacey. My pleasure. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far. There are over 50 at this point with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.